listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Well, surprise, Richard Franzi is out of town today here. I think he's at a, uh, a meeting of all the uh, Renaissance Executive Forum uh, uh, members, and uh, we wish him well in that. And so today, Paul Roberts, the normal, normally silent engineer, gets to uh, speak up today and host the shows I've done a few times here. And uh, what a show we have uh, for you today here. Uh, let's kick things off uh, by reminding you that, uh, for those of you who may be listening for the first time, that Critical Mass for Business is a uh, company that believes in the power of peer learning. And so Rick leads uh, uh, CEO peer groups here in Orange County. And uh, put the show really as a way to uh, gather information for those groups and to give people a little sample of what he believes is uh, is the way to uh, build your business here. Learn from the experiences of others. So he's already done over a thousand interviews on the station. It's amazing. I don't think anybody else has talked to a thousand people. If you want to go back and check those archives, please go to the website Critical Mass for Business, and you can hear all the different interviews that he's done. Uh, including this one when it goes up uh, next week and gets turned into a uh, podcast. Uh, and today we have with us, uh, I guess this is kind of a uh, follow-through to a show we did some time ago in the Shea Writing Center. We have uh, one of their supporters here today. His name is Mark Aldridge, and he's the chairman and founder of Aldridge and Bonifin PLC, a professional law corporation. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Thanks, Paul. Okay, all right. Nice to be here. And uh, tell us what kind of professional law corporation you you are. Do you special? I I see you specialize in banking law. Is that correct? That's right. In fact, we're celebrating our thirtieth year this year. I founded the firm in nineteen eighty-five, along with my partner Janet Bonifin, and we specialize in providing legal and compliance services to uh, banks all over California. I had no idea there was a niche for that bank pays a prorated share of our costs each month and for that they, they get the right to call us for questions we do training seminars in 10 different cities throughout california every really? month we do telephone briefings we publish a 20 volume set of bank procedures manuals and um, provide a lot of other support so uh, you must be one of the fans of the Dodd-Frank <laughs> regulation, because that certainly made uh, banking more complex than it's ever it, been. It's definitely our retirement program. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Kept you guys around. So uh, give us some sense of, is banking back in uh, on good, healthy ground here again? I mean, obviously, we went through the largest meltdown of the financial institution, scary yeah. meltdown, uh, a, f- a few years ago. Yeah, we were having... Uh, Friday afternoon vigils for what bank would be closed <laughs> yeah. on Fridays yeah, for a while. But uh, I have to say uh, that I think the industry is doing much better now. And uh, uh, we've seen these cycles during the course of our firm. There was uh, some failures in the mid to late 80s and right. in the 90s. And then, of course... More, more the you know, SNL crisis yes, and everything. Right. right. There's been you know kind of different groups each time. But but in the past, after these consolidations, we've seen a surge of new charters. That has not yet happened uh, this time, and we're still seeing some mergers and consolidation of banks. Uh, we have become aware of a couple of new applications in Orange County that are mm. being pursued finally. Uh, I think part of it is the compliance burden, but also the low rates and low margins 
yeah. that banks are uh, enduring today. And I think when rates rise, you may see some more new banks again. Will we ever see a rollback to the days when banks just do banking and don't do offer investment and financial products as well, or is that ship long since sailed? I, um, I know there was a lot of discussion of breaking banks back up again and reinstituting right. some of those rules from the 30s and 40s. Some, and, the Glass-Steagall Act right. is one of those. I think that community banks tend to be more focused on traditional banking. It's really the big banks that got into all of these uh, deep derivations of banking and probably got into trouble with them. Yeah. Um, many of the community banks did not do that, but they were hurt by the recession and the decline, particularly in commercial real estate values. Well, my wife has been in banking. She was a branch manager uh, at U.S. Bank for a long time, and now she's into auditing and whatnot. And she always laughs and says, in her career, she's gone through, I think, 12 or 14 consolidations mm-hmm. or whatever you want, oh, like, yeah. mergers and stuff, uh, right. including one year she went through three of them. She went from some little bank to Security Pacific to Bank of America. I mean, it's just one, mm-hmm. you know, one after the other. And she always kids and says, well, we're just going to have one bank left. It's going to be called The Bank. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope not. That wouldn't be good for my practice. <laughs> we, we, we've tried to expand by also serving other kinds of financial institutions other than commercial banks. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, we're increasingly serving credit unions and also non-bank financial services companies like finance lenders and uh, some of the newer money transmitters mm-hmm. and marketplace lenders. And what about this whole you know, world of uh, Internet banking? Are we just going to do everything online again? There are a few banks that, are, as I understand it, just don't offer branches anymore. Well, I think it'll be a mixture. Um, some banks are moving in that direction. The, the technology certainly is there. But I think community banks' strength has generally been through the personal contact mm-hmm. and the, the desire to have someone who knows your business and can be there for you when you need them. And I don't think that's going to change. And, and used to be able to size you up and decide whether they wanted to take a risk with you or not. But right. now that a lot of that discretion seems to be out the window here. At, at the smaller banks, I think there's more local decision making, uh, and that that is going to you know keep them around as long as the economics work out. So, what do you see the future of banking regulation? Is it going to continue to be as highly regulated? Is it going to get more regulated? Uh, if or is, is the pendulum swung way and when do you think it's going to come back again? It may here? swing back a bit. There's already some talk about giving smaller banks regulatory relief. There's a couple of bills that are been in the house recently passed by the house of course whether you know anything will whether anything can pass through the house these days i don't know the dodd frank act i think has affected larger banks more but it's just increased costs throughout the industry yeah so there's some some support i think gaining to relieve banks of some of that and do you see um you talked about new banks being chartered i haven't seen that happening yeah a handful, really, uh, nationally in the last few years. Um, there used to be small banks that would special, particularly in industries. When I was in the entertainment industry a long time, and there were like Citibank, or not Citibank, uh, I forgot the name City of it. City National. City Bank. National that would They just got on. bought by a Canadian bank. See, there you go, another consolidation. But they start off as really focusing on the entertainment industry, and they mm-hmm. would even do, they were one of the few that would even fund movies and other right. sorts of things here. My father was a community bank president in Irvine in the 1970s and early 80s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that I think, piqued my interest in getting involved with the community banking part of the industry. 
he was also the one that suggested I start this cooperative group. Oh, uh, wow. Which, uh, are there lots of others work. out there? Are you a unique in this field? We're, we're unique in that regard. We we represent, through this group, 125 banks throughout California, and wow. there are only about 175 banks. I was going to say, how many left are left? Yeah, right. There used yeah. to be um, quite, th- quite a bit more. Uh, but we, we do focus primarily in California because it's our home and the laws and regulations uh, of which we understand the best. We mm-hmm. do have some clients out of state, and we can advise in matters of federal law, mm-hmm. federal banking law, but we're obviously not as adept in, in laws of other states. And how about things like credit? I've never quite understood how credit unions fit into the mix, and I don't know if they're continuing to, for a while that they were growing, and then banks were complaining that they were becoming banks without the regulations well, of banks here. credit unions have been very successful. They do enjoy an exemption from federal taxation, which banks do not get. Mm -hmm. And it's a point of contention between the banking industry and the credit union industry. But credit unions will tell you that they um, uh, take advantage of those tax savings to offer lower rate loans and and better benefits to their members. And uh, they have very strong, loyal memberships that, yeah. that support them, and and but they used to uh, be they, more narrowly well. de- used to be more narrowly defined, and now they seem to be coming up with these they, real broad. Traditionally, they were consumer lenders and and lending to their members. They right. have, and there are statutory restrictions on the amount of business lending they can do, and they're trying to expand that, which the the commercial banking industry is fighting. So I'll, I'll bet. there's a little little bit of tension there. But uh, we we actually are non political in that regard. We're not a an advocate for one side or the other. We just help banks get through what they need to do. Mm-hmm. We're kind of the nuts and bolts advisors about, okay, this is the rule, this is what you And I'll bet do. they need a lot of it today because I'm sure they're just as confused more. as everybody else. We had there. no idea when we got into this, you know, in 1985, that it would be such a growth yeah, part who, of the industry. Who could have foreseen the kind of problems yeah. that banks would have and therefore the kind of re- regulations that were created to address those problems? Exactly. Right? Exactly. Right. Well, I'd love to talk. I'd love to talk banking for a long time because I think it's a fascinating industry that's going through some really disruption to it, and I'm not sure where it all goes. But I know you're here to talk about not just your own firm, but the work that you do with the uh, uh, Shea uh, uh, Center. I was want to call it the Shea Writing Center, but I guess it's just the Shea Center here in San Juan Capistrano. And we'll talk about that more when we come back right after these commercials. Stick with us. We're here on Critical Mass for Business Radio. <laughs> Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups, was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups. His second book, now with newly updated information, is Critical Mass, The Power of CEO Guiding Principles. Richard's books contain powerful information to help CEOs running middle market companies gain valuable insight to improve their decision-making skills. Richard's books are available as paperbacks or Kindle versions from Amazon.com. To find them, type Richard Franzi in the search box. Are you looking for your successor? Someone as dedicated and experienced in their field as you? Executives Unlimited delivers the top executive talent you need for your company's long-term success. 98% of our clients re-engage us for additional hires, and over 90% of the executives placed by us since 2007 are still in their positions or have been promoted. That's twice the industry's average retention rate. How do we do this? Dedication. Executives Unlimited believe success isn't success until it's long-term. Call us to invest in your long-term success. 
or visit us at executivesunlimited.com. Let our long-term success leverage yours. Award-winning photographer David Moyle has more than 16 years of experience creating unique and riveting photography for his clients. Whether your business is an international corporation or a small business, David Moyle's photography can make you stand out. Visit www.davidmoyle.com or call 714-272-2284. All right. Well, that went by way too fast. That, that should be a show into itself. You're talking about the banking industry and where it's going here. But uh, I, I know that uh, you wanted to particularly talk about your work uh, with the Shea Center. Let's talk about you. You've been with them for 20 years? Yes, I started on the board there in 1994 at the request of my friend John Fosheim. And uh, also my daughter was uh, a rider of horses, Mm -hmm. generally, and also was an aspiring physical therapist. And I thought, oh, this would be a great thing to get involved uh, in for her. But I was the one that got involved, and I got hooked because it was such a (laughs) wonderful program. Well, let's describe it again for those that don't recall. We did a whole show with uh, the Shea Center here before, and I was fascinated by the work that they do. They're in San Juan Campestrano, and what do they do? They serve the disabled community through the use of equine-facilitated therapy, meaning horse-related activities. Uh, and they have uh, sport riding for the disabled. They serve all kinds of people with disabilities. And I also have, they also have uh, equine or horse-facilitated uh, physical therapy. And who uh, came up therapy. with this idea? I mean, you're literally putting blind people on horses and yeah. letting them experience something they could never otherwise imagine. Yeah, here. yeah. It's a, it's a concept that's developed over time. The founder of this program was a woman named Fran Joswick, who was a social worker, uh, along with the Lewis family, um, found that these therapies were very therapeutic for the first uh, writer, Michael Lewis, who is mm-hmm. um, someone that uh, has been involved with the center for, for many, many years. And uh, increasingly, the medical community got on board. Uh, initially, there was some skepticism about the real efficacy of the of this, but um, now the center gets referrals from hospitals and doctors. And is it and just service. blind people? No, it's uh, all kinds of therapies. I think um, number one disability they serve are people with autism. Oh, you know, that's an increasing yeah. need. Um, people that are stuck in their own world here and can't process all the information being thrust at them here. People who have paralysis as a result of... Injuries. We can get referrals from the brain injury unit at uh, Mission Hospital, mm-hmm. um, cerebral palsy victims, Down syndrome, all, all, all kinds of disabilities are, are served at the center. So and it's, it's just a wonderful place for the, the disabled and able-bodied population to mix. And so what happens when somebody with cere- cerebral palsy or autism or any other disability, what happens when they get on a horse? Well, they have to be oriented, of course, and they need a lot of assistance. So the center has something like 750 uh, annual volunteers that come, and they they walk alongside the rider Mm -hmm. to stabilize them and and help them avoid injury. And uh, gradually what happens is the, uh, the, the person who may have been impaired in their ability to walk will find that the walking motion of the horse helps them tone their body and their core strength and um, and also just the the mannerisms of the horse seems to bring people out we've had a lot of people who you know 
have spoken their first words on oh, on the wow. horse and when they have not been uh, verbal prior to that. I mean, do they feel a connection with this living creature I think beneath so. them here? The horses are very therapeutic in their own way. They're, they tend to be very sensitive to the rider. The riders uh, seem to respond to them in a variety of ways. Uh, and it's just a marvelous thing to see. I love watching the movie, The the Horse Whisperer. Is that the one oh, with yes. Robert Redford? Right. And he goes out and finds this troubled horse. And, and in the process of dealing with this troubled horse, you know, really ends up dealing with the the, the girl whose horse it was and you mm-hmm. know, all the trauma she'd been through and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And, and that whole notion of somehow, because you think, okay, it's a horse. But it's these are smart creatures, and they're big right. creatures, and they're living creatures. And I I didn't grow up around horses, but they seem to have a certain sensitivity to people, and people seem to form a bond and a connection to their horses that are like what they do with their pets, their dogs, perhaps, yes. or whatever. And, of course, they're specially trained. Uh, the uh, center carefully screens and, and finds horses that are appropriate for people uh, in the program, different sizes, and, you, you know, yeah, bigger right. people need bigger horses and, and things like that. But uh, there's a whole range of therapy services now at the center, uh, speech therapy, uh, occupational therapy. Uh, there's an, uh, a family and educational center there. Um, it's, it's a wonderful program. And how do you fund all this? I mean, we're in a world where funding for nonprofits is taking a hit across the board here, how do you find support for something? Well, you find someone like Dana Butler is what you do. She's, <laughs> okay. she's, I know you've had her on this program, yeah. and she was certainly a mentor for me. I, I didn't have any prior fundraising experience when I went on the board. I'm a lawyer, you know. And, yeah. uh, but she had been with the American Heart Association and taught me kind of what it took and developed the center. I, my claim to fame was I was on the hiring committee for her in 95, I think. Okay. And, that shows uh, a certain uh, uh, brightness <laughs> and sensitivity on your part here, right? <laughs> Along with, with others on the committee. But but she gave uh, a new level of professionalism to the center. She kind of brought us to the next level. Uh, our events, uh, such as the annual barbecue, which just raised over a million dollars, mm-hmm. is a, a huge... A million dollars. A million dollars I, I just said that so casually, and then it sunk yeah. in. You raised a million dollars yeah. at a barbecue. In one oh, event. It's, wow. it, and it you know, didn't start out that way, but no. this community is really... Uh, rallied around the program. We also have a, an annual gala uh, down at the Montage. The Montage has been a wonderful partner. Now, I've forgotten who the supporters are, but I know that uh, is this at the, the same center where that Joan Irvine Smith created that writing center down no, at uh, uh, no, off she, Ortega Highway there? That's a uh, uh, the Oaks, I think, is, yeah. is that uh, center. Because I know she's big into supporting but, um, writing and all that stuff. Uh, Jenny and Bill Klein have been uh, huge supporters of the center and mm-hmm. have uh, stimulated much giving as well as uh, the development of the center. One of the things I did when I was first chair was um, I helped facilitate the donation of the land, the seven acres of land from the JFJ company. Uh, and we started a capital campaign to build the new center. So where is it exactly in San Juan Capistrano? It's uh, just north of the mission, okay. uh, off of uh, Camino Capistrano. It's uh, La Paz oh, Road. There's a railroad tracks there, I and there's know, a Christian yes. school. And, yeah, right, exactly. Uh, and there was another big area that got donated to some other big Christian organization. Yes, yeah, across Saddleback the street, Church or Saddleback yeah. Christian School, I think. And uh, we're right next door to the Sycamore uh, Stables. Oh, okay. Wow. We have two beautiful covered arenas. Uh, You know, just recently, the campaign that we started so many years ago finally 
ended. Um, the the center is debt free, and it, it's a wonderful wow. facility, and the facility is complete. So it's and fun. how do people get involved in this? Both if they need the service or have a child or loved one that mm-hmm. they think could benefit from this, how do they? find you and get brought into the program what are the costs or who pays for what and then beyond that what kind of things can the community do to get involved well if someone who has uh, a person with special needs should simply just call the center ask for dana butler or the program director and they'll you know tell them what's available there are certain writing sessions and other services available Uh, someone who would like to volunteer should call the volunteer volunteer coordinator uh, volunteers have to go through a training and a special uh, preparation. That's got to be an amazing days. thing to just experience to through to watch somebody do something like get up in this horse and feel this moving, breathing creature beneath yeah. you here. Because I remember I've only been on a horse twice in my life, as silly <laughs> as that sounds, and I was scared skinny both times because it just seemed <laughs> huge and powerful i'm on some you know trail horse that right. you know knew where to go well, i'm not a horse person really mm-hmm. uh, but uh, just the, the benefits to the people involved got got me hooked and uh you know the, the other thing that i think that i learned was people think that what they do might not make a difference but everything combined together makes a difference yeah. no one should feel that their part is too small or that they're they're not capable of giving or or volunteering in some way i felt used to feel guilty i didn't go down and actually sidewalk with the horses but, <laughs> but i was volunteering at the board level and, yeah. and giving my expertise facilitating the land gift everybody's needed if not more yeah there's a million right. volunteers and there's a, a place for that you know well, uh, so give us the numbers and the phone and the, uh, wherever, everything they need sure. to find out more. Here. Sure. Well, the, the phone number of the center uh, is 949-240-8441. Okay. There is a uh, great web page which has a lot of information. Uh, and you can also dom- donate on the website, and the website address is www. There's a board member. Only the board member would do it. So, yeah, of course, you can <laughs> See, donate. I was well trained. www.shaycenter, that's S-H-E-A-C-E-N-T-E-R dot org. Okay. And, again, what kind of needs do you have? Uh, you, you, I'm sure you always need money, but it sounds like you're in pretty good financial shape. Well, we do need money. Places. I mean, you, we have to raise, you know, over $2 million operating budget every year. Oh, and wow. a lot of that is given at these events, but we also need corporate donors. We need community donations. There's an operating campaign. It all has to be raised again every year. We're wow. working on an endowment, uh, which I think will, you know, and. Yeah, and then right. ensure the the final smooth in, out some of the success, rough years here. Right. Yeah, exactly. You need long term success. Yeah, exactly. And what kind of do you get corporate sponsors? Do people respond to this? In a, in a world where corporate sure. sponsors are looking for, I hate to say it, such big visibility. You know, would they look for something that may not be as uh, readily apparent as sponsoring? I don't know, some walk with well, ten thousand people or something. Most most uh, banks, for example, have community development funds that that they uh, allocate We toward. need to find somebody who knows banks. I, I don't yeah, know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we should find a way I've, into these banks. I've called on some of my clients. <laughs> I'll bet you have. But we've had some, some uh, large bank uh, donors, for example, Wells Fargo has been a supporter over the years, and and others, you know, that have stepped up, and, uh, and it's been a great great program. Well, I think you guys should um, uh, find a way to um, capture some of the stories 
whether it's a video or an audio or a book or something, I think the more you can, in, in, in my mind, there are a million charities with their hands out, and they're all doing sure. great work. But those that touch us the most are the ones that either we have a personal connection with, your father had cancer or something, or your brother had a problem, or those that the stories. The, the stories, mm-hmm. I think, are what stick out in people's each, minds. Uh, each event, we show a video of the writers, right. and we also, at the barbecue, have a demonstration of the writers. And there's nothing, I think, more, more compelling yeah. than seeing the writers in action at the at the center. I'm not sure if the website, I think the website might have a video. Uh, that Boy, I really would encourage you to do that, to capture some of that, because I think this, as we get into, you know, storytelling is becoming such a big, it was a lost art for so long here, and now through long form mediums like podcasts like this or through uh, YouTube videos and whatnot, storytelling seems to be back. In the a other big way, way to experience the center is to just come down and schedule a tour. Oh, uh, okay. Just call uh, Dana Butler or one of the people at the center, and they'll uh, give you a guided tour of the, the stables, the arenas, the, and see the see center. What in it's action. all about. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to come right, right after this, and maybe we'll uh, hit you up for a question or a story or two. If you can, we'll give you a minute or two to see if you can think of some here. We'll, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Wow. Marketing predictions are out for 2015, and marketing success is changing. Did you know that Google is now actively tracking your business and personal brand and online reputation? Online and offline marketing has changed. Google is driving more than 85% of your traffic. And if your brand is inconsistent or has poor mobile usability, your rankings and traffic can suffer in 2015. To learn how your business is currently viewed and what can be done to improve your brand's visibility and authority, contact SunUp Group for a free marketing analysis. It could be a business game changer. Visit www.sunupgroup.com today or call 877-609-3840, extension 700. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sound board to test ideas and concepts, review plan and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Successfully navigating the changing world of public relations and digital marketing requires an experienced, tenacious, yet gracious team. In business for more than 20 years, Orange County-based Tea & Company delivers big agency results with personalized service. For more information, call us at 714-536-8407 or visit us online at tandco.me. All right. I didn't want him to leave without at least sharing a story or two from this because I really, I, I gotta believe this is an amazing experience to see people who've been 
you talk about an autistic child that's locked in their own world and to suddenly speak, or you're talking about a blind person that could never even imagine the feeling of being on a horse and being one with this animal. i, I got to believe it's very moving. Any any stories come to mind here? Well, one, one of uh, of course, it's always moving to see the riders, uh, but there was one that I recall named Ziggy, uh, and he was a blind rider. And in order for him to... Uh, engage in uh, dressage. Uh, you had they had to uh, position volunteers all around I don't the know arena. What dressage. I don't know what that dressage is. Dressage is a form of uh, of riding that is judged. It's oh, okay. A, uh, a style of riding, and okay. there's certain ways that it's judged. But uh, in order to participate, he had to have. Uh, audible cues so people would be you know six or eight people would be um, positioned around the arena and they would all uh, yell out a a letter or a number and by hearing those letters or numbers as he approached them he would know where he was Hmm. and he was able to navigate the arena and and participate and and even um uh, so they're steering him by 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 sound right sound right wow okay That's pretty uh, amazing. And, and any others that come to mind? You talk about people that speak or or that kind of breakthrough of. And again, I don't know that this has ever really been documented, has it? I mean, you say yes. It, uh, you know, they are now keeping uh, track for purposes of the uh, statistical data they need yeah, to show. Right. Uh, they have programs that do that. But I mean, people have learned, taken their first steps there. They've learned to speak there, and a lot of the videos uh, are now on the website. I'm told so. Wow. If you want to take a look, you'll you'll see a lot of uh, miracles happening there. Miracles happening. Where else can you go see miracles happening? Right here in right. Orange County. All right, give us the uh, address and phone number again. I just wanted to come back and give us a couple of sure. quick stories. The cause... address is uh, 26284 Oso Road in San Juan Capistrano, uh, 92675, and the phone number is 949 www.sheacenter.org. And Shea is spelled, for those that uh, aren't uh, of Irish heritage here, S-H-E-A, the Shea Center in San Juan Capistrano. And if people want to learn more about your law firm and the good work that you're doing beyond uh, the volunteerism that you do, where else do they hear about you? Our uh, law firm website is www.ablawyers.org. Com. Okay. So A is an apple, B is in boy, lawyers.com. Okay, and they can find out if, if they have, we have lots of bankers and we, that listen to these shows. we also represent other businesses as well, and a lot of what we do for banks is, is useful to uh, business people. So um, Yeah, I would think there are lots of other businesses that suffer from the same regulatory confusion and chaos that uh, banks are going through and need someone to sift through and tell them what to do here so they don't get in trouble. So. You bet. All right. Well, thanks so much for sticking around for an extra minute. We're going to run uh, one more set of commercials, and then our uh, next guest, Wallace Walrod from the Orange County Business Council, will be here in just a moment. So stick around. Let's face it. Not all company challenges are the same, which is why strategic market intelligence can help identify the actionable information you need to be more competitive. Gain a better understanding of your brand, competition, best prospects, or new product opportunities to generate greater revenues in 2015. Call 949-357-9547 or visit www.strategicmarketintelligence.com. Are you ready to tap into the power of social media to promote your business? It's easy to get social with Turn Up the Volume, the award-winning social media marketing professionals who know how to get results. Drive web traffic, boost sales, get social today. 
visit www.turnupthevolume.com. That's turnupthevolume.com. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. All right, we're back there. Sorry to eat into the time here with our next guest. We'll make it up in the back end here. But I, anytime you have people from the Shea Writing Center in here, it really is amazing. I encourage people to go check that place out because... The work that they do and, and the amazing therapeutic value of putting autistic kids, blind kids, others, kids with cerebral palsy on horses and let them experience what that's like, I, I think has got to be absolutely, as he said, it's miraculous. Where else can you go see miracles happen but at the Shea Center here in Orange County? Well, here's another place that's trying to make miracles happen. They're, they work at the miracles are their regular business here. The Orange County Business Council's chief economist is with us here for a dramatic shift from uh, from heart-tugging stories to uh, probably uh, frightening statistics here of the future of, the, of Orange County and the country here. Uh, welcome, Wallace Walrod. Thank you, Paul. Good to be here. Uh, we, he's been a guest here before on other shows of ours, and uh, so we'll try and cover some of that ground and explore some new ground with him here. Tell us again, let, for those, this is a more business-oriented show, what is the Orange County Business Council and what do they do? Yeah, Orange County Business Council is the largest business organization in Orange County. It was actually founded back in the 1880s, even before Orange County was a county. Wow, I don't think I knew that. Orange County used to be part of L.A. County. Yeah. And the predecessor to Orange County Business Council was a mover and shaker in breaking Orange County, splitting Orange County off from L.A. County. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, probably in those days, spent a little bit of time up in Sacramento doing that, as we still do uh, every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, I think I've heard some uh, shady stories of how that all happened way back when. Uh, but. There were, probably were suitcases of money <laughs> or something, something exchanged, yeah, right. But now we're primarily the large employers in Orange County, like uh, the Walt Disney Corporation, sure. like Irvine Company, like... Um, uh, South Coast Plaza uh, yeah. is a member of us. Right here. We're right across the street from us here. So, yeah, we work on long-term issues that affect the you know success or failure of Orange County's economy. The four areas that we really focus on right now are economic development, workforce development and education, infrastructure, and workforce housing. Well, we're going to talk about at least one of those today. Uh, but what fascinates me is this is not a government institution, right? This is Because you would think, like, uh, forgive me if... My ignorance, but like in LA County, don't they have an economic development agency? And- they do. Yeah, um, in Orange County, we tend to do things a little differently. Right. So, the <laughs> independently, or- yeah, <laughs> we are kind of a combination of a business council and an economic development corporation. Mm-hmm. Typically, um, those economic development corporations are public- publicly funded. Right. You pointed out LAEDC in Los Angeles is mostly publicly funded. Right. Same in San Diego. Same in most other places, but 
our organization, you know, Orange County, like I said, does things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have members that are government entities, but 90-plus percent of our funding and our members are in the private sector. And does the funding all come through just membership dues? Do you do events? Do you get we grants? Do, How, what else do you Yeah, do? primarily it's events and membership dues, and mm-hmm. we're going to talk about a conference we had last week. We mm-hmm. have several big conferences. Um, we have one coming up, actually. So the one we'll talk about today was our workforce conference. Yes. That was last week. Right. We have one coming up at the end of the month on October 29th. That's our economic forecast, and we do that in collaboration with Cal State Fullerton. And that's a big one. So let's yeah. start with the one that just took place here. What what was that one called and what uh, what information was uh, presented at that one that we'd find interesting here, our business leaders? So we do it on an annual basis. I think this was the 14th or 15th uh, one that we've done. We release a report that myself and my research team write. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we also have, uh, we didn't have a keynote speaker this year. We had a, a panel of uh, uh, business folks and actually a few elected officials. Hmm. A report this year focused... And, we, and the conference was called what? The uh, Orange County Business Council Workforce Development Conference. Workforce Development Conference. All right. That's one of our core issues. And we um, track some of the same indicators every year, like uh, Orange County's unemployment rate is now 4.5%, so we're doing really well. Doing actually, something right, yeah. We were close to 6% last year at the same time, so and, we're significantly under that. And let me ask, this is maybe a stupid question, but I specialize in asking these kind of ridiculous, uh, obvious questions here. That's almost considered like zero because there's always going to be some unemployment. Right. There are people always in flux. You're never going to be absolute zero uh, unless it's, I don't know, in the middle of a war or something or whatever or something. You're right. That It used to be considered 5 or 6% unemployment was at that point was full unemployment. Yeah, right. Orange County, before the recession, actually had been in the 3 to 5% range for about uh, a decade before that. So we're right back to where we were before the recession. I think we'll actually end the year probably closer to around 4%. So mm-hmm. we are getting back to full employment now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so as strange as that sounds, 4% is considered full employment. Yeah, because you're already, always going to have people who are switching jobs right. who want to move on to a different career. They're in flux. Everybody isn't staying put and employed at one moment. And a certain number of people have more trouble getting jobs than others and whatnot. Right. And there are still some folks who are underemployed who are counted as employed, but they Mm -hmm. would like to be working full-time, but they're currently working. Now compare that to our sister counties, uh, Riverside, San Diego, L.A. They're all in the 6% to 7% range right now. Mm -hmm. So we are outperforming, once again, the region. Um, and it actually gets to the first of the big issues that we talked about in our report, which is we're facing a skills gap in some industries. I've heard this before on this show and others, uh, and I find that hard to believe in a world where people say, gee, I can't get a job. Their employer is saying, I can't find somebody to fill a job here. That's for sure. And it's um, uh, not evenly distributed across the board, but in certain particular sectors. And the three that we've highlighted um, in our research are no surprise, information technology. Mm-hmm. Oh, and can't get enough of those. That's right. not just in IT-specific firms. That's in a lot of different firms. For example, hospitals now and healthcare mm-hmm. systems are hiring a lot of IT folks. Obviously, in the financial uh, world, they're at insurance companies and banks. They're hiring a lot of IT folks. So, mm-hmm. in general, IT is a great area to go into. But from the employer standpoint, just cannot get enough talent there. And the other thing driving it, I would think, is this push towards, we've done some shows on this, what they're calling 
big data or the Internet of Things where everything, your toaster, your TV, your car, is going to be gathering information and sending it to somebody, and somebody's going to be analyzing that data. So more than ever, we've got to have people who can understand all that process of you bet. And, in fact, that's an area of the um, that's a realm that I'm increasingly doing a lot of work in. We have Orange County is kind of a, a center of that. Mm-hmm. We have companies not too far from here like Experian, and that's yes. basically their core business. But we have a lot of small and medium-sized firms that are getting into big data as well. Yeah, and I didn't know. I thought Experian was just, I knew them from the credit reports, but they do a lot more than that. Oh, information yeah. gathering and analyzing this big data. That's exactly. And where big data in general is going is predictive analytics. Yes. And that's something that, for sure, uh, Experian has been making a lot of progress in. I'll tell you another one. We did a weird show. We have a show called The Cloud, and we talk about uh, you know trends within this new strange place where we're storing all our data called the cloud. This yeah. uh, this offsite something out there, and uh, we did a show with the chief technologist, I think that's what his title was, for the city of L.A. city of L.A. is one of five or six cities in America that have hired somebody for this position. And what they're doing is they're trying to put meters or, or I don't know, what would you call them, little devices on, like, parking meters and stuff. Sensors. Sensors, right, so they can gather this data, and then they're putting it out and trying to make it free, available to people, and hoping that they'll develop apps and other things. And and the parking meter was one that they talked about, where somebody came along and said, well, let's analyze what parking meters are open. So as I'm endlessly driving around downtown L.A., I can say, oh, there's a meter open on 4th Street. I'll go over there. That's actually the, it's an area I've been doing some work in called open data. And yes. basically that's providing that's gov- the data that government collects so that people can make use, use of it, it use yeah. and value of it. And the, ma- other, the other yeah. area in IT that's big is mobile. You kind of referred mm-hmm. to that when you were talking uh, apps and everything. Apps and right. stuff, exactly. So the other two areas are healthcare mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. You know, Orange County is getting demographically older, yeah. as is the rest of the state and the nation. We tend to consume more healthcare services. Uh, and unfortunately, not as many people as necessary are going into healthcare, and that's all the way from nurses. And we've known that there's been a nursing shortage. I keep for hearing a long that. It's time. hard to believe. Yeah. But also technicians and IT folks. Uh, yeah. Actually, the third area is actually quite interesting: uh, is advanced manufacturing. You know, and I would have been surprised had we not done a show about uh, three or four months ago. We, we do a manufacturing show here oh, okay. uh, uh, called Manufacturing Talk Radio. And we did a thing with the, well, what's the big group that puts out the jobs report and everything? I forgot their name, not the title. Anyway, whatever this this body is that, along with the Commerce Department, puts together these jobs re- manufacturing reports. Yeah. And they talked about it at length. Yeah. You can't get a welder. You can't get a CAD operator. Uh, the average age of these people in their 60s or whatnot. So these are people that got trained into these positions, and there's nobody following because your kid, you don't want your kid to go be a welder or a draftsman or something, or not it a is, draftsman, but, you know. Yes, that, that's spot on that the uh, most manufacturers you, you talk to, it's an aging baby boomer workforce. Yeah. There, unfortunately, it became sort of um, a stigma about what manufacturing yeah, looks like. I don't Is want my kids to be assembly this line, dirty and this ugly. Smokestacks, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Right. If you go to a manufacturing facility now, Robotics it's very and- different than that. You're actually, <laughs> exactly, mostly working with computers and computer interfaces, yeah. operating machinery and robots, and there just haven't been enough um, new uh, young folks and enough education and training programs to meet that. 
and those baby boomers are starting to retire. Yeah. And actually, if you want a really good paying job and you don't necessarily want to get a four-year degree, uh, advanced manufacturing is one some of the best. Some of those are six-figure jobs and stuff here, you even bet. to be welders and some of these things here. And uh, and I, I was flabbergasted by that, and I didn't know if that was just because manufacturing has seen a decline in this country. But they said, no, it's just what you said. It's just not sexy. It's not attracting the youth like other things are. In fact, it's the opposite. Um, so Orange County, a lot of people don't know this, right now has about 165,000 manufacturing jobs. Orange County does? Or, just Orange County wow. alone. Grew about 5,000 in the last year, so that's over 3% growth. Mm-hmm. And you've heard, maybe you started to hear this trend about onshoring or reshoring. Yep, bringing it back. We're starting to see that in Orange County. So, so what do they bring back? Is it is it the really high-tech stuff that's it difficult is more, to do? Yeah. more the tech stuff or stuff Real that... precise. And, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the other part is when you need... Uh, we got used to this just-in-time yeah. society, and then what happens when you have, like, the port slowdown like yeah. you had, <laughs> yeah. you're missing these components that are necessary. So actually supply chains are shortening rather than lengthening that's interesting and you want to build in some um robustness re- re- and redundancy and so, redundancy so i've got some ability if there's a disruption somewhere i've got some parts closer that exactly. i can create here yeah i think wow. manufacturers have learned that lesson and we've closed the gap through the use of technology and robotics in terms of you know the um, competitive advantage of low-cost labor now we have highly skilled labor that's using you know, very technical um, manufacturing processes. So we do well in that environment. So even here we've got a robust economy compared to our neighbors, even immediately around us or to the rest of the country. We're doing well, but there's still a shortage. And what are those three shortages we talked Information about? technology, yeah. healthcare, and advanced manufacturing. Advanced manufacturing. That's the one you wouldn't think of here in Orange County. Exactly. So can I talk about the other yeah. really interesting thing I think that we, we've started to do <laughs> research on? Millennials. Boy, we could do a whole show on that. And we have, in fact, in a variety of different... We do about 20 different shows here in the network covering a variety of different subjects from HR to manufacturing. And somehow each of them has found a way to do a show on millennials. They ain't like the baby boomers. Well, uh, well, I, I will say in some ways Our that's children true. aren't us. <laughs> in some ways that's true, but in some ways it's us as we were back when we were that age. Maybe. And yeah. we've forgotten what it's like to be back then. So... Actually, there's a lot of things that millennials look very different about, Mm -hmm. but as they age, they'll start to look the same. And actually, I can't remember the exact top five things, but they've asked this question for a long time now. What are your top five priorities in life? And actually, millennials have the same top five priorities, and it's stuff like... You know, get a job, have a family, yeah. own a house, stuff like that. It's the same as previous generations. Although, the, according to the uh, business uh, industry uh, that was in here, they're worried that, uh, at least for the moment, the millennials don't seem to want to run and go buy houses like uh, we did when we were their age, uh, the 20s. And maybe that's because of debt, and maybe that's because of they saw their parents struggle uh, with their home mortgages, or maybe they're just delaying family formation, and they're still out partying and playing and You could have given my presentation. <laughs> What's true about what you just said is millennials. Millennials are getting married much older than previous generations. Millennials do have a... They are much more educated than previous generations. Mm -hmm. But coming with that, there is a huge amount of student debt. And, Mm -hmm. of course, when you're applying for a loan, that student debt's included in it. The recession hit them very hard because that's right when they were entering the labor market. And they're just starting to recover in terms of their career. But research shows that if you enter a recession, uh, if you enter the workforce during a recession, it takes you about 15 years to catch up. Wow. 
So wow. they they do have some catching up to do, and they they don't own houses to the extent that you know previous generations did at right. this age. But I will say, maybe a corollary is it looked like they weren't um, buying cars mm-hmm. a few years ago to the extent that's true too. They want but to take, they're uh, catching up public very transportation rapidly. and other sorts of things. I, I think what what we understand now is it was because they didn't have good paying jobs and they didn't feel financially secure to uh, purchase a car. They are the biggest part of the car purchasing market right now. And, in fact, they're making up lost ground in terms of their purchase of vehicles. But look what's happening here in Orange County with the kind of housing that they're well, building. Well, that's for sure. In a place like Orange County, it's difficult um, for our 25- to 34-year-olds, right when they're starting their family and yeah. career, to Average buy house. house is, what, 600000 or some crazy figure? I forgot it's what it is. It's a little bit over 600000 We yeah. actually released a report um, earlier in the spring on uh, workforce housing in Orange County. And, you know, we are losing, uh, you know, I think in the last decade we've lost about 10% of our 25- to 34-year-olds. Yes. And that's different than any other surrounding county. That stuck with me the last time you were here, and that scared me because are we going to end up – and let's talk about that for just a moment. You've got me. I'm the 60-year-old aging baby boomer. I'm I'm the prime target here. Suddenly I'm going to live longer. Suddenly, I'm going to work longer, probably because I have to, because I lost some of my savings or didn't save enough because I'm a baby boomer and I live for today and not tomorrow, and partly because I don't know where else to go either. So I'm going to hold on to my house longer. I'm going to hold on to my job longer. Well, I'm supposed to leave and make room for somebody else. And if I don't, do we run the risk of this becoming one giant leisure world? Yeah, or someplace like Santa Barbara. We are yeah, right. we are kind of aging and you know having aging our service place, workers. Yeah. It's, it's called aging in place. Right. Having our you know our uh, public safety folks have to live outside. Yeah. So it is a big issue. That's one of the they other come in, that, they service, and they leave. You know, yeah, exactly. Right. And it clogs up our freeways and yeah. causes more congestion. So that's another whole issue that OCBC is working on. We talk about it a little bit in the workforce report and the other part of it that we haven't talked about it's even expensive to be a renter at this point in orange yeah. county wow and, and 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 let's talk about that for a moment because when uh, you guys have been here a couple times on different shows and as one of the reports said we were talking about housing in orange county you guys did a report that just i think should be front page news i don't know why it isn't uh, maybe it's because we don't want to hear the you're, you're you're giving us stuff we don't want to hear here but it was basically if Orange County was just going to continue to grow, businesses growing at the rate we're growing, we've got a robust economy, uh, people having a couple of kids, and just forget about the, the, the people like me that came from the Midwest to California a million years ago here. Even if you take that off the board, just the normal growth, like we're still like, what, 60,000 homes short over the next 20, 30 years? 60,000 now. Well, actually, now. about a little bit over 50,000 now, but going to over 100,000 by 2040. And where, where are we going to build them? We're boxed in. we got the ocean on one side, mountains on the other, Camp Pendleton in the south, and L.A. to the north here. Other than the the land that they're uh, made available on the Great Park and the land that uh, still remains in the last ranch down there, Rancher Mission Viejo, that ain't a lot of homes. What, 10,000 homes maybe? Although I'm more optimistic there are opportunities for housing. And I think it's higher density, and that's something that millennials so far have accepted. Although the people in community, wasn't there a big fight in Huntington Beach a while ago? There always is a really – it's difficult. Yeah. But the other – 
land use that I think you're going to see opportunities on is we have built too much retail space. Yes, and I remember you said that. We've and got the shopping center in every corner. With Amazon and yeah. delivery services and all that. Big boxes being consolidated. Some of those older away. sort of um, strip malls probably mm-hmm. at some point will be either mixed use or completely residential. Wouldn't that be wild? So, uh, and yeah. people worry about traffic, but with autonomous cars coming very quickly, I heard somebody say it'll increase capacity by four times wow. having autonomous cars. Well, and the other thing that has come to light, I hadn't thought about it, is people say, well, I don't want to build dense housing. That'll bring more people, more traffic. They're already here. It's They're kids doubling. being born. Yeah. It is kids being born to families that are already here. We, we do get some immigration from outside the U.S., but we're actually, the state itself is losing folks to other states. Yeah, right. So people are moving away, and it's almost all of our population growth is kids being born. Well, and I think of my own daughter, and she had a baby and her boyfriend, and so they moved in with us for a year until they could go out. Now they're living with five or six other people and renting a house. No, more than that, six or eight of them renting a house somewhere. And there's density taking place right now in our neighborhoods. We just don't want to acknowledge it here. Oh, I think that's completely true. But, um, you know, we'll adjust somehow. We'll we'll make it through. All right. Well, uh, so what's the one takeaway you want everybody to take away today here? You do have an event coming up as well. Let's just talk briefly about that, the economic forecast. Can you give us any uh, little uh, insights, what we're going to see at that event here? You know, I think I haven't seen Dr. Neil Puri from Cal State Fullerton Mm -hmm. and Dr. Mira Farka. They've both been on this show numerous times. They do the actual forecast. I have not seen it, but... From all I'm hearing, uh, you know, we can we'll probably continue to grow jobs. We've grown about fifty thousand jobs in Orange County in the last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the business climate here. Um, if you want to do California is a difficult place to do business. No There's question. no doubt about that. Right. But if you want to do business, Orange County is, if not the best, one of the best places in the state. And then also we have a great keynote keynote speaker, Richard Davis. He's the president and CEO of U.S. Bank. Mm -hmm. Oh, Uh, wow. We've had him before. He's a phenomenal speaker. He's actually from Orange County. I think he was a Cal State Fullerton. Yeah, Cal State Fullerton grad. Very inspirational. He always talks about, you know, he goes all over the country. Mm -hmm. And he always talks about not just because he's from here, but what a special place in terms of the business and economic And they really doubled down their investment. They bought Downey State. My, my wife, full disclosure, works for U.S. Bank, so I know more about U.S. Bank than I did years ago. And they bought Downey, and they've really opened a lot of branches here and really California doubled. is a big market for them. Yeah, they very big market here. for them here. Yeah. yeah. Because they're basically a Midwestern bank that came out here and right. and bought up some other ban- banks and have made a big commitment to being in Orange County here. Yep. Well, uh, okay. So <laughs> I got a kind of good feeling. Is that is that should I not be so happy here? Yeah. Uh, housing's good. The only uh, thing, the only cloud on the horizon that I talked about at our conference last week is we just got some numbers uh, recently that consumer confidence has slipped in the last quarter. And we started to see in retail sales, retail sales were a bit weaker than we expected. And consumers being 70% of our overall economy, if they pull back significantly, that's not just an Orange County issue, but if they pull back significantly, especially entering the holiday shopping season, you know, we might have a little bit slower growth. Than Can I give you an interesting take on I never hear anybody? This is just my own. I'm not an economist. I'm just an aging baby boomer who has seen this for a number of years, and I don't know why people don't know this. People are expecting the the baby boomers are still the largest demographic, right? Although the millennials yeah. are the millennials passed them just, just last I think they did. Yeah. Yep. So baby boomers are still pretty big, and if as baby boomers go, so goes the economy. 
at one time we spent like drunken sailors. You know, we, our houses tripled, everything. Oh, my goodness, uh, happy days are here at last. And then we know how that story ended, the Great Recession. I don't think people are going to, my age, are going to come back and spend like they did ever again. One, because we've been burned. And two, because we're older. Everybody I know is downsizing. The, my next car won't be bigger. My next house won't be bigger. If anything, I'm going to try and consolidate because I'm trying to suddenly save money to last, I don't know, 30, 40 more years here. So I think if you're waiting for our generation to pick up and start spending again, I think you're missing the demographic shift. We're going to spend less and less and less. Well, that is going to be a long-term drag on the economy. Yeah, and we've right. got to figure out how to get people more confident. With, And I agree with you totally. Actually, in the numbers, you can see both their current and very immediate future mm-hmm. outlook next year or so. And then you can look at them three to five years out. And both actually took hits. And yeah. During the recession, it was more the near-term outlook. People mm-hmm. thought that, you know, three to five years out, we're going to get back to something yeah, like right. normal. Uh, that's what worried me a little bit was that hit to the long-term outlook. That, uh, that I just... don't think people have taken that into account, that the baby, if you're waiting for us to go out and spend again to, to like we did before, I don't think it's going to happen. Now, maybe millennials will pick that up and spend like we did because they're going to have families and all the same needs and desires. But we, as a generation, I think, have already reached our zenith per person, what we're going to spend. And I think over the years we will spend less and less and less, particularly as it gets scary and we start looking ahead and saying, i got to hold on to what i got here. You know? Well, the other part, I guess, um, is, and these numbers did just come out in the last couple of weeks, you know, if you have a lot of people running for president who go around and s- are talking about how bad things are, oh, I know. that might contribute a little bit. I mean, and, uh, again, I don't want to get political here, but the yeah. process seems so paralyzed. And here we are again. Uh, we're doing this show in uh, October, middle of October, and we're all sweating whether or not we're going to go through a default in the government again. Exactly. So people listen. I mean, yeah. you can't. You can't uh, that scares people. Yeah, ex- it sure does. All right. Well, you made me a little less scared today. I thank you for coming. I want you to come in once a year and say, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I can do that. I can, <laughs> Orange County's okay. I can, I can be your security blanket or your psychiatrist. That's what I need once in a while when I think the world's going to hell here. I want you to come in and say, it's not so bad. You bet. It's not so bad. It's not so bad, folks. How do people uh, find you and find these reports if they want to learn so, more? So uh, on our website, www.ocbc.org. And then also our partner of ours is the County of Orange and the Orange County Workforce Investment Board, and it's also on their site, which is www.ocwib.org. Wib, like W-I-B? W-I-B. Okay, that's Wib. right. The OC Wib. I didn't know we had a Wib in uh, we Orange do, County. That's who's responsible for <laughs> the workforce training that goes on here. Well, good stuff. Keep it going. I'm glad I live in Orange County here. You know, uh, I feel much safer every time you come in. And uh, I don't know how we're doing it, but we, we seem to be <laughs> defying the rules. Everybody else is yes. crying the blues, and we seem to be chugging along pretty well here in well, Orange That's County. a good thing to be different on, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for coming in. Uh, for those of you uh, listening, uh, I thank you for uh putting up with the uh, lack of uh, Rick Franzi today. He, he he gives such insight into so many things here, but uh, with his guidance and a few questions from him, I hope I, uh, I hope I did a good job and held your attention here today. Uh, he'll be back uh, next week, as usual, with more insights into Orange County business uh, with the notion that it's really simple to help your business grow. Just learn from others. Peer learning is the power of peer learning, as he preaches all the time here. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week with some more Critical Mass for Business right here in Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net.
You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show. Focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.